and I was just hanging out at State Farm all the time. And uh, my mother-in-law was the agent at, at the time. And I, I remember there was a day where I took her check to the bank and I was just dropping it off. She's going to look, you know, everybody's going to look. And mm. I remember seeing it and I was like, this, what she made in two weeks is what I make in like half a year. Mm. Like this is, I am in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. And I'm unhappy with my life. What is going on, guys? Dr. Jared Nelson in this house, the podcast, The Better Man, where you can never be perfect, but you can always be better. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Ricky Phillips. What's going on, dude? Doing good. How are you, Mr. Dude, Nelson? it's been so long and uh, a big insurance guy. Yeah. The Alabama Goose. The Goose, The, yeah. the, Al- the Alabama Goose? I actually own the Alabama Goose, yeah. Uh, like you own it? Yeah, like, well, I mean, I own the domain. Yeah. That's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. So, Instagram, if you want to look him up, go ahead and start with that. So, I start off everybody with this. You're in the gym. You're chilling. You're sitting there. Uh, somebody looks at you, and they're like, no, nah, I know you from somewhere. Where do I know you from? What do you do? Let's if it, if it. it's a guy, then they then they probably send me on social media. If it's a girl, they're probably hitting on me. Uh-oh. But Uh-oh. if it's a guy, you know, they've probably either seen me on social media or ask them if they're real estate related or something. Right. I do a lot of networking in, in Huntsville with with the Huntsville Association of Realtors and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think it would it would have to be work related if they recognize me for sure. For um, sure, big into the insurance space and all that. So. What's your name? Who are you? And what do you do? Yeah, my name is Ricky Phillips. I am. I own my own franchise with Goosehead Insurance. We're a real estate focused insurance company, and uh, we just we write a lot of home insurance. That's that's kind of our main focus is home. We do auto, motorcycle, boat. You know, call me for insurance. No, that's right. Hey, I actually have my insurance. So you got yeah, a good, yeah, good quote. Actually, my, most of my clients though. I, I would say probably 5% of my clients actually are friends and family. Yeah. Most of them come from a referral top source. So like a loan officer, a realtor, a title company. So mm-hmm. it's not as honestly writing friends and family is a lot harder. So yeah, I got your business, even though yeah. it, it's it's not the ideal way that or ideal client for me. If that sure. Makes sense. Sure. Well, it grows. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. you know, you gave good business to me. So I refer you and all that. It just kind of yeah. is a trickling effect. But we'll definitely get into the business side of things. So Goosehead Insurance, when I first started that, I was like, what is that? Uh, start from the top. You know, you worked uh, CVS, right? You worked yeah. CVS for a long time. Then I know you got into the insurance space. So kind of start at the top with the insurance business. What got you in it and, and uh, how did everything go? Yeah, I, I started. I was going to our backyard school here, Gadsden State. Mm. And I thought I wanted to do like business or something. I didn't, I didn't really know what I was wanting to do. Um, I was terrible at all of it. But I was working at CVS that time and. Um, I, I worked at the East Gadsden CVS, which is not too far from here. And right. I remember, I remember driving by that McDonald's and getting like two double cheeseburgers at like ten o'clock at night. About, hey, little, yeah, little, right yeah, down the road. Yeah. Like, so this is very like weird for me to be back. But yeah, now you um, you're in Huntsville, I'm Alabama, in Huntsville right? Now. So so we're in Gadsden. People listen to this kind of everywhere, yeah, all over the yeah. U.S. and stuff. So th- this is my old stomping grounds, and I was at CVS for a while, and um, I was like moving up as a shift manager and working some in the pharmacy, doing all that. Eventually, I guess I wanted to be a manager, but um, our district manager at that time was like, hey, I'm not going to pay you anymore to become a manager if you finish school. I was hmm. like, well, forget school, you know, like I just, I quit. Um, I think I worked in Jacksonville for a little bit. I worked in Gadsden, worked in Atala, and I kind of moved around until uh, they gave me the ARAB store. 
Um, I moved to Arab because I had an interest there. I was trying to build a relationship with my, at that time, it was going to be my fiance. Sure. So I, I got the the store in Arab. I was the store manager there for like eight years. Um, I thought that was like success, you know. I had the house, the car, the dogs. We were starting to have babies and, um, you know, you're in a lot of debt and all that good young adult stuff. Yeah. Um, there was some, there was some ministry in there too, where, where I worked at the church, but we'll get into okay. that in a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, but the job kind of pulled me away from working at the church cause it was so needy. It was like that salary retail CVS job where right. you're making $50,000 a year plus bonuses, but you're slaving all of your life away. Right. Um, cause it's just a set pay. Um, I was always hanging out at state farm which is where my wife at the time was working at. And I would just hang out in there, have my lunch breaks there. And, you know, you know how there's just some businesses you go in and hang out. Like sure. you see like Josh Peck go in and like, he just hangs out at the other stores. That was me at State Farm. Yeah. I worked at Blockbuster. Okay. Well, I, yeah. So I had tons of people coming there just chilling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was just hanging out at State Farm all the time. <laughs> and uh, my mother-in-law was the agent at, at the time. And, I remember there was a day where I took her check to the bank and I was just dropping it off. She's going to look, you know, everybody's going to look. And mm. I remember seeing it and I was like, this, what she made in two weeks is what I make in like half a year. Mm. Like this is, I am in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. And I'm unhappy with my life. Like it was just, it was like one of those, like, just humbling moments where it wasn't like a money chase, but it was a freedom chase too. Like, sure. I was just never off on weekends, holidays, all the retail grind. It was, it was there and it was real. And it was just like, all of a sudden I felt that weight. Like, man, I, I really do hate this job. Mm -hmm. I really do hate retail. And, uh, I had the whole Wolf of Wall Street moment where, you know, I went to my mother-in-law and I was like, I'm ready to, to take out the trash, do whatever I, I need. I need your job. Like, I'll take whatever pay, whatever it is, you know, I'll downsize, whatever. I just want to come work and be a State Farm agent. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I seen that. I seen the money, but I also seen the freedom. And mm -hmm. I, I guess it was where I was at in my life. I was like, I'm not going to do this forever. So I, I asked for that job. And I remember we had to sell a few things to, because I took a pay cut um, at first just to be a, I guess they call it like a CR, like a, it was more like a sales representative at State Farm. Mm -hmm. You can't just jump in and be the agent. So I had to learn that. I had to get my license. I had to, there's a lot of step-by-step -step process, but she did give me the job. I was blessed with that. Mm -hmm. So, And this um, was as an agent? Was that This then? was just as like a sales rep at okay. State Farm. Okay. Just kind of getting my foot in the door. Sure. And um, that's a real thing, man. I know, you know, I worked as a nurse five years at a, at a local hospital and then travel nursing. This was before COVID, kind of right before it. And I, I, I had a guy, uh, I haven't actually talked about this on the podcast yet, but a guy, a really cool guy, um, last name is Wolf, uh, good man, but he was in California and he got a PRN job in, Ga in Gaston where I live. And he said, I'm just bored. You know, I just want to, I'm like, you're bored. So like, yeah, I go to California, make, uh, about 10, 20 grand in a week and come back. I'm like, what? Like yeah. that? And that was my aha moment. Yeah. Like. I was like, there is no way. Like, there's no way he does this. That's impossible. Yeah. I've worked as a nurse for five years and make like $20, yeah. maybe an hour or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I think everybody, young adults, if you get into some, kind of a successful thing, it's good to have those moments. Like, network with people, talk with people, 
and that's really going to bring you up over time and that's awesome that the state farm did that, in that i think it, i think it's cool because like yeah, everybody's so intimidated by how much do you make yeah but like Who's to say, like, you could be good at that job, too, and you could make just as much money? That's right. Um, and I think insurance is that way. Like, I'm a big supporter of bringing more people in the insurance industry, like, because I see how beneficial it can be to your, not only your, the health of your life and just having that freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want, mm-hmm. but also there's, like, it's residual income that is always going to be there. Mm-hmm. So, it, I think it, I'm a big push for bringing more people into the industry and helping them get to be where they need to be in it because I felt like I needed that. That makes sense. I Mm. needed someone to kind of take me under the wing and say, all right, let's go. We'll get you this career. Right. Um, My mother-in-law was that for me though. She was, she, she's a great person. Um, I, I I appreciate her more than probably many people on this earth. So she, she helped train me and I was her Padawan, I guess, Mm. you know, it was star Wars reference. Yeah. Star Wars reference. (laughs) I uh, I worked there for about three years, and I was watching all the Gary Vaynerchuk and the you know the big podcasts on how to be a good insurance agent, how to grow a successful business, and what the future is holding when it comes to technology and insurance technology and, and raiders and carriers and the the branding that comes with it. And I felt like I was kind of growing at a faster pace than State Farm was at that time. Like I was wanting to do things that they wouldn't even allow you to do, like post a video on Facebook mm-hmm. asking for insurance. You see people do that all the time, but at that time State Farm wouldn't even allow that. Oh wow. And I was kinda like, you know, I'm I feel like I'm growing at a faster rate than y'all are. And so the business was kind of restricted as to what you could post and all that you're saying as well. Yes, yeah. I felt like I felt like I wanted to jump into the newer age of insurance where they were a little more old school. Okay. And that was holding some restrictions for me. But there's also like this corporate owned type situation that I probably won't get into a lot of that, but th- there was some corporate owned stuff where, you know, eventually you're, you're not like the owner of your business. Eventually state farm could just fire me at any time. Mm. So for me, I wanted ownership. I wanted something that I could grow, make residual incomes on, but also sell to somebody one day. Like my book has value so I could sell it off to someone else and, and get my return back if I had to. Oh, so wow. um, I did when transitioning from state farm to Goosehead, I, I was back 27 at the time. You know, you, you hear all the podcasts. You can still make a big mistake at 27. Oh, yeah. And recover. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. I, I, we, we ended up selling my house. I, I cashed in my 401k to buy the franchise. Wow. My um, my mother-in-law actually gave me a little bit of loan to live on. Mm. And uh, I also used up some credit cards. I mean, I like, I cashed in on all his head. Yeah. And it was, it was kind of risky because it's like buying a Chick-fil-A. You sure. know it's going to work, but you still have to execute. Like that's true. It, if if you don't execute, it's it's not going to be anything. So, mm-hmm. um, that was what my plan was, and I just hit the ground running with it. So that's awesome, man. That's a beautiful story. You don't hear a lot of people, but twenties is the time to do it. Like if it you're going to take a big business risk and all that, I feel like that's the time to do it. And that's awesome that you did that, man. I knew that like I could go back to State Farm or go to Alpha, right? Or I could go work somewhere. Like I have my license and they'll hire me. I just, I knew that if I was going to take a shot on something, now is the time to do it. But I think, you know, in life in general, anything that's worth it is going to require some level of risk. Yes. You know, that's pretty substantial risk. It kind of made me uncomfortable even hearing (laughs) that, honestly, but, but look how successful you become, you know, anything, um, going into debt a little bit and all that, sometimes it's necessary 
uh, to get where you need to be. Now it needs to be calculated. I don't yeah. think you should just go out there, throw out money, cash in 401k, yeah. and you don't have a target. Like you don't have a plan or whatever. Uh, but sometimes that risk is necessary. And I, I mean, it's already, I've only been in with Goosehead for three years, but my 401k, when I cashed it in, it was like $30,000. Sure. Whereas now my business value, it it's somewhere over 150000 So it's kind of like, that was a very quick investment, quick return. Right. And I'm only, still only three years in. Right. So it, it it's going to be fruitful, but still had to execute. Right. And it takes so, time. You know, and some people think like a, they don't even understand investing in a business. Like we're yeah. taught, I don't know, you remember high school and all that. It's like work a job for 40 years and invest in 401k, retire and all that. Uh, lots of vehicles to to make money and stuff like that. It's very important. Yeah. Having different streams of income and all that. That's awesome, dude. Um, so insurance guys are greedy i've heard about i've heard yeah. this before like you know and i will say this I, I i care about you ricky we're friends and all that i've never met a poor insurance person like i've never met anybody and i know you've heard that before too so kind of talk about that people say the insurance people are greedy uh, i know you make good money what do you say to that are we talking about agents in particular or the carriers i'd say agent uh, you know i think it's so as an insurance agent i'm gonna work really hard to grow my book because I'm only 31 right now. Sure. Uh, I'm wanting to grow my business. So I'm asking for reviews and doing all the extra stuff. You know, I may be greedy one day because here's the thing. I, I feel like when I'm 60 and if I still have this business and I've hired off a bunch of people to run it for me, I may not be there all the time mm. and I may become that greedy insurance agent. Mm. But right now I can't be because I'm hungry and growing. But I think this job is so fruitful that it could become an opportunity where you can still own it, you can manage it, you can run the business. But I don't know many like top head guys that have that kind of business under them that aren't a little greedy. Sure. Well, I think a little bit is good. A little yeah. bit of motivation to be better, all that. There's a, you know, I had Miller Clayton, car wash guy on the podcast, and he talked about uh, people say must be nice, you yeah. know, and stuff like that. Uh, I think there's a little jealousy component there. Yeah. People that make money and then they see, well, insurance people are very successful. Now you have to work. Yeah. You know that's yeah. the thing. You got to grind, get clients, and all that. They don't see a lot of behind the scenes what it takes. And then people say, "Must be nice." Well, you've had to work a lot to get there. It takes takes time and effort. For yeah, sure. and I think uh, I'm in a little different situation. Like even some of the other goosehead agents I'm friends with, I know they're grinding on the weekends and at nights, and sure. they're doing some other stuff that I'm not doing because I have two kids at home, or you know, I'm just trying to balance my life also mental right. health and because i guess i've recognized that where they may be at a different stage in their life and they haven't mm -hmm. so uh it, it's interesting because you you have to become who you want to be in that industry and we we're at, we were talking about this before the, the show started you know i i could hire and i could bring on more people to sell for me but right. i like just being a hunter like i like going and getting my business bringing it home killing it eating it and and doing it all myself because it's helping my mental space right now too. So there's there's pros and cons. I could grow my business faster or I could slow down and kind of live my life but also still keep bringing in income. Mm -hmm. Well, being satisfied to an extent, you know, is good. You know, I yeah. think you can get too far and reach too far and it can be really destructive. Yeah. Uh, like you said, you have a business, you're successful, you're satisfied with the income you're generating and all that. Why not be cool with that? Like, yeah. you know, you don't have to keep reaching. What is the, because numbers never end. Mm -hmm. I had this conversation with somebody at work today. When is enough going to be enough? You know, you get more money, like you said, house, cars, all that. 
you're going to keep wanting more and more and more. Logically, you have to eventually be like, I'm satisfied here. This is good. You know, I'm good with where I'm at and then be satisfied with that. Yeah. And, and if we, we start working till midnight every night and then we make an extra $50,000 a year, then we got to pay taxes. That's and right. Then, and then the 50000 just gets spent faster because you're living at a higher net value lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, you're living out and eating more or doing whatever. Sure. So it, I think you have to find balance. That's the key. Mm-hmm. Since you brought up taxes, let's talk about that for a second. I've heard people say before, don't make so much, you're going to pay more in taxes. Now, I understand how the tax bracket works. It's all a percentage-based thing, and it's kind of very complicated. What would you say to that? You know, it's like, don't make too much money. You're going to have to pay more taxes and all that. I think it's all about where you're spending that extra you're, you're, you're making. Yeah. Um, I'm 1099, so I'm going to try to find everything under the moon to write off. And W-2 and 1099, most people listening, are, you're a W-2. I yeah. mean, you work for an employer and all that, but 1099, you have a lot of deductions, can write off business expense and all that. Yeah. Um, but I've heard of situations where, you know, if you don't spend this money, you're about to be taxed heavily, yeah. you know, so yeah. get that spend that on the business in some way or innovation, whatever, to get that, uh, to get that income down. That's what I, I literally, everything that I spend money on, I try to find a way that it's right. tied to the bit. I know I'm going to DC in February and it, it's not work related. I'm telling on myself. So IRS don't kill me. Uh-oh. It's not work related, Yeah, but I'm going to do work in DC. Sure. So I'm going to make sure that I get work done in DC so that it can be a tax deductible trip because that's, right. that's that's just what we have to do. Well, it's the tax um, code. I mean, that's, is, and yeah. a lot of people say that, uh, talk about uh, just businesses are greedy and uh, they, t- they don't pay taxes. It, it's literally the code that the government has written. Yep, I mean, you're is. just following the code. I am. Um, you've learned it. You've I'll learned have my to... laptop, my backpack, and I'm going to do some work in D.C. Right, know? right. But it's just learning how to run the tax code. It um, is. You know, that, it's a very important thing. I think especially as a business, if you can do that, the income is very substantial. I had a guy at the at the gym, he was talking to a colleague, and he's like, once you, even working as a W-2, once you have a business, that's when you're going to start excelling. That's when you're going to start thriving because of the tax advantages and all that of having yeah. that, for sure. And I think that, that there's benefits to it. I mean, you know, when, you, when you're able to write off a room like this because it's something you're doing for a job or right. whatever it may be, it, there, there's a lot of advantages to it, but you have to take advantage of everything, otherwise it it can get pretty costly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So starting with Goosehead, did you buy equity in the company? You talked about you wanted to be a part of it, right? So did you buy equity in the company? What was, what, how? Goosehead is a franchise. Okay. So it, it's just like a Chick-fil-A. You, I bought their business in a box. Gotcha. So they had their competitive raiders and they had all their technologies and their service team. And um, it pretty much had everything that I needed to run my own agency the way I wanted to run it. I didn't want to have to buy leads. I didn't want to have to have a billboard. I didn't want to um, do the the mailers that you get in the mail saying, hey, I can get your insurance for $300. I didn't want to do all that. Um, Goosehead's very B2B, but also B2C. So I go after loan officers and realtors, and they send me clients that are coming down through the real estate transaction process, uh-huh. and those are ideal referrals to me. So it that's where the B2B is there is I want to add value to the realtors and the loan officers I'm working with, but I'm selling to the clients to make sure they're taken care of and that transaction's going smoothly. Right. So it, it, it's a really good match. They've kind of goosehead designed their business model around real estate. So it, it's a good plug for us to get into with those connections pretty quick. Um, but, but I like it. I, I, one thing I did not like. So when it, when I was getting insurance, I really hated like handling a billing issue. 
mm-hmm. someone called me, hey, Ricky, my bill went up. And like, not saying I don't like taking care of that client because I want people that want to take care of me too. Sure. But for me, like I'm a hunter. I like selling stuff. I like seeing revenue go up on the board. I like, you know, closing a deal or that was the fun side of the business for me. So Goosehead really allowed me to do that more. Whereas when I was at State Farm, you know, you're, you're kind of handling everything, the claims, the billing, the service, et cetera. Goosehead had a team for me that could do all that stuff where I can just focus on hunting mm. and selling more policies. Right. So it's, it, I really like it. Like if you needed, you have my, you have your insurance with me. Mm-hmm. If you needed to change your card that the payment's coming out of, you call my team and they take care of it. Mm. So, but I pay for that. I pay royalties off my sales for them to service those, but right. they were the model that best fit the lifestyle I wanted. If that makes sense. Gotcha. Well, yeah, you find where you fit, you yeah. know, you, you experienced another company. You're like, I kind of fit here better. And I think that's important to kind of test a lot of different areas, find where you fit, find what you like better. Uh, and, and find uh, where you fit, you know, find where you want to go for sure. So start with uh, Goosehead in the beginning. How did you think, you know, I'm going to buy the franchise here, buy into it and all that. How did you start the process of that? You said you were at State Farm and you decided yeah. you want to do that. What did you do to get there? It was like six months of no income. Oh, wow. Like it was because I, I knew that I didn't have any clients. I didn't have any business just running in the door. I didn't have the other insurance routes. Like if you go work for a State Farm or Alpha, USAA, or whoever it may be, mm-hmm. um, oftentimes you're given a book of business where the income's already coming in. This route, I did not have anything coming in because mm. it was everything I bring in. So that was really hard in the beginning because you're just waiting for a paycheck. Yeah. But at the same time, like I knew it was going to be fruitful. So just kept grinding and grinding. And there's things I would have done different mm-hmm. um, when it comes to like maybe not spend so much money or so much time writing friends and family. Like, I wish I would have just went out and hunted for referral partners. Right. You know, those types of things. So, so you learn a lot, but it, it all paid off in the end eventually. It was just, um, I think if, if I was going to, I know one of your questions was if, if someone wanted to get into this industry, right? I think I would still send them exactly down the path I came, like go work for someone at an insurance office, make that. Twenty dollars an hour, whatever it may be. I I know it's not what you're planning to right. eventually make, but but getting that seat and figure out: Do you want to sell life? Do you want to sell health, auto, you know, home insurance? What kind of insurance do you like to sell? You can figure that out. You can figure out if, what type of salesman you are, because some people aren't designed to be. No, this is interesting. There in insurance, you can either be commission based or salary based. Yeah, some people are like good commission-based people. But those are like your hunters, your warriors. You know, they're going to go out and get it. But then you have some people that are better salary-based. They're more like farmers. You know, they like to keep, not farmers, the company. Right. But they like to just bring in clients, handle with care, Paula Dean and Sweet Tea. And, and that's okay, too. But they have to figure out what industry with what company they belong with mm. that's going to best fit them also. Absolutely. So. Well, let's talk about finding where you fit, you know. Uh, nurses. There's a lot of nurses that apply to nursing school. They haven't done anything medical whatsoever and all that. You kind of need to know what you want to do before you get in there. You know, it, like test the water a little bit. Like you said, you worked at State Farm. But how do they do that? Well, you can work as a tech. Okay. Uh, you can volunteer. You know, there's not a lot of volunteers. And I had a dentist on here, actually, uh, Johnny Foster. I don't know if you know him. Uh, Jordan. Okay. Jordan's dad. Okay. Um, and he said, you know, there's not a lot of volunteers anymore. Used to, like in the 90s, 2000s. 
a lot of people a lot of people don't want to do that anymore um but i think it's important to test the field it met a lot of miserable medical people seriously mm. they got degrees and they're working and they they hate their life they don't like what they do you know so i think it's important all to go back to finding where you fit test an area go somewhere shadow somebody have a conversation mm-hmm. you know make sure this is what you want to do and make sure it can be rewarding and fruitful for you yeah that and, and finding the big players in those industries that was yes. huge for me the um, successful people. It is. Cause yeah. my last year at state farm, I, I walked into so many state farm offices and met with and a lot of those still follow me on social media, but mm-hmm. I met with them and asked them, Hey, what do you like about your job? What do you don't? And then even before I went to work for Goosehead, I, I did the same thing. I went and talked with those agents. What do you like? And what do you don't? And over time you, you, you build up this knowledge of what they like. And then you kind of fit that into what you what you like also. that's right that's right so, well medical's that way you know like you there's a book way to do things and then you see somebody do it in practice and then you're like okay i, I like this way and now it's still sterile all that yeah, you know it's yeah. still proper but everybody kind of has their way of things you know and uh it's just kind of finding your your niche and all that finding the way you do things that's also man it's been successful um the customer is always right i know no, you, i know you've heard that, i know you've heard that before <laughs> so so what do you say to that comment Oh, you know, it's so interesting because clients, they will educate the mess out of you when it comes to insurance. And, you know, even even down to where you just I think when when the the saying the client's always right, it means we are giving up on arguing with you Mm. because we could or we could prove that we're right. But some people, you know, I think there's like some people have this like caring inside of them where they just yeah. they refuse to be wrong yeah so it's a pride issue uh, for is. sure but that's the best the big thing back when probably our parents and their parents generation like the customer's always right you know you always heard that but uh it can be detrimental to a business especially yeah. if your business is like starting or it's small and all that if you make the customer right and they always have to be right it could be detrimental potentially yeah and, and there's there's so many times where um, and I won't mention any names because I know that that's probably a violation. But yeah, I see that. There's a there is times where like you know people will have a claim and they said they told you one thing, you know, and uh, I have to go get out my notes. Like, luckily I have it all documented, but I'm like, you know, they told me this, we accepted this, I wrote this policy to cover this, and I cover my tail really well. But you know, there there is times where they they question you because it's. They don't. They don't want to lose anything, or they don't want to lose money. Or well, I bet too in the insurance industry, you have a lot of people. You see the true side of people, the yeah. um, truthfulness, yeah, and uh, character yeah. of people, and all that. I'm sure you have some stories. On I would that. say nine nine out of ten clients that call you for an auto quote. I'll say, do you have any tickets or accidents? No. Ah. I run that report, and like I don't even know off. why. I don't even know why we ask that question because we have to run it to sell the policy. Is that like a? a it is thing? a requirement. Okay, you have to test it. But we do this like testing the waters, where we we just want to know what they know. Yeah. Have you had any tickets or accidents? No, I haven't had anything. We run it. There's like six or seven, you know, tickets, violations, claims. Well, now does it reset every three? Is it it's every different three? for every carrier? Okay. Um, there's a lot of. We could probably do a whole show on like insurance myths, but um, some carriers are different. Like State Farm, for example, they were every two. You know, Progressive, it it keeps stuff on there for like six. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, it doesn't count against you unless it was in the last three. So every carrier has their own appetite for business that they want. And that's why you see so many people like, who has the cheapest insurance? 
it's different. Yeah. Every every carrier has an appetite for a specific client, and you are a specific client for some carrier. Yeah. It's just you have we have to find that carrier for you. Well, that's a good point, and that's why Goose said insurance. Finds the carrier for you. Yeah, yeah. A yeah. uh, little plug there for yeah, you. Yeah, You're welcome. Good. Um, but yeah, so struggles in the industry. We kind of talked about the customers always write stuff like that. So talk about some struggles in the industry. Uh, you said you wouldn't have changed how you started, but I'm sure you've kind of made mistakes throughout and yeah. kind of learned. I would have done this a little different. Kind of talk about the struggles you went through. You know, I think the most recent, the struggles have been recent. And because my business comes from the real estate industry, I'm catching a lot of the real estate hard markets. So right now, specifically, insurance has been going up. A lot of people can blame it on inflation or whatever they want to blame it on, which there is some inflation there. But really, our issues are coming from we are paying out more claims than we are writing business. Uh, um, so these carriers aren't making as much money and they're raising the prices on everyone because mm-hmm. they've got to make their return. Right. So I think a lot of people, you know, you hear all, well, I hear it all the time. You may not, but they're like, yeah, I've been paying insurance for 50 years and I've never had a claim. I wish everyone could say that. Yeah. Because like I would say one in five of my clients is going to have a claim within the next year. It feels like at least. Yeah. Because they're, they're just constantly happening. Weather's always bad, especially here in North Alabama with wind and hail and auto claims. It's not even if you're a good driver or not anymore. Right. It's can you dodge the bad drivers. That's right. So it, That's right. I, I think because they're not na- making enough money, the prices are going up. It's harder to shop clients. And then real estate related, it feels like the because the interest rates went really high, people can't people can't get into those higher value homes that they want to get into because their interest rate's so high. So they're taking these lower valued homes. They're buying houses that are like um, under needing a lot of construction or a lot of work done to them. And when they come to insure it with us, it's like, that's a pretty high risk. You know, so now we can't find a good insurance carrier or a good price for them. And then if the insurance is too high, now they can't qualify for the loan. Mm. So there's got to be this like balanced middle ground to where I just wish it was easy to sell, but also the the price needs to fit what they're getting. Well, times are tough now, man. I mean, I, you know, people, I don't care if you're making 50, 200 grand, like it's just hard. Uh, mm-hmm. It's hard. And so when things go up in, in value, the prices have to match that. Like yeah. cars are getting more expensive. You know, mm-hmm. these repairs are getting more expensive. But people don't, my insurance went up. Well, think about how much it takes to fix the car. Like everything is consistently going to go up in price, but it's hard to tell people that, you know, they yeah. just see that's not fair. They're raising my price. It's really, if you look at it, it's basic economics almost. Yeah. Most of the this is really cool. And everyone can do this. If you go look at your auto insurance policy right now, you probably have like, uh, for car rental, you probably have $30 a day, which comes out to $120 a month. It'll probably say that. You're probably only paying $6 or something for that. You mean coverage. a year? $120, you said a month. 100, $120. No, I'm sorry. Let's start that over. If you, if, if you go look at your auto policy right now, you probably have rental car insurance that's going to cover you for up to $30 a day for up to $1,200 a month. Right. In car rental. Okay. Uh, that coverage probably only costs you like $6. I mean, it, a month. It's very cheap. But if you go and wreck your car and you go rent a car, you're going to find that it costs $60 a day to rent a car. So not only are you underinsured for a cheap insurance policy that's very cheap, those are the type of situations that insurance companies are seeing on a bigger level when it comes to 
the this roof's going to cost you sixteen thousand. Mm-hmm. You've only been our client for two years, and you've only paid us, you know, three thousand dollars. Right. So those scenarios are just trickling in, and that's why we're having to raise insurance prices. Not me. I'm not mm. the insurance commissioner. Don't send me bad emails. Yeah. <laughs> but but realistically, that's what's happening is the the numbers aren't matching, and they're needing to make their profits. Well, it's almost the same thing as a. Uh you know, um, pensions like UPS. My dad was UPS for 42 years and he gets a pension. You know, those are almost obsolete because it became, uh, yeah. there's more, less workers and so many people retired that they were cashing out more than they were taking in money wise, you yeah, know? Yeah. So it's the same, it's the same exact concept. I didn't know if roof was 16,000. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the roof is very expensive. Really? Um, I'd, I'd say on average right now it's anywhere from, like eight thousand to seventeen thousand dollars, and your bigger roofs are more than that. Is that for shingle? Shingles, metal. It's really yeah. about the same price. It, okay. Not not exactly, but yeah. um, when it comes out to to what they're going to pay, if they're going to try the insurance is going to put what you have on that roof, try to put as close of a product to it as they can. Okay. But if it's diff, if you want something different, typically they're going to make you pay the rest for okay. that in that change. Gotcha. Um, most of the time depends on the carrier every carrier is different yeah that's true that's true that's interesting man metal roofs man when it rains sounds great solid solid is there issues we're gonna talk about roofs for a second i didn't think (laughs) shingles versus metal uh same length of life what do you see i'm not an insurance guy but from what i have noticed is a roofer will sell you what he's going to make the most money on. That's a good point. Because it, and no, no, that's not anything against my, my bad roofers because they'll probably see this too. Sure. But the, I think roofers can tell what you need. You're going to get hail damage to a shingle or to a metal roof just like you will to a hail roof. Or metal. You're going to get hail damage to a metal roof just like you would a shingle. Right. The shingles probably are going to pull up more, but then you've got to think about is it is it a hip roof? Is it gable? Um, there's different types of shapes and the way that these roofs get put on it. There's, there's so much many factors that go in geometry. Yes. There's the a lot of different factors. <laughs> Some zip codes are just more expensive to put on roofs than others. Yeah, yeah. It, there, there's just a lot of dynamics that go into it. I don't think it really matters. Cause I haven't seen everybody says my roof's going to last me 30 years. Mm-hmm. I'm the insurance guy. I've never seen a roof last 30 years. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. that I have either. Really, and they, they may, but the roof probably looks pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Yep. So insurance to me, you know, just from what I know, just from what I've been covered, I'm thir- We're both thirty one, right? Thirty one. Yeah. Um, get what you need, what will cover you well, but don't be overinsured. So how do you find the balance? If somebody's out there, they're eighteen years old, and they got to get renter's insurance, car insurance, all that. What do you need to find the balance? How do you find that balance if I'm going to be insured enough? Because like you said, you get a rental car, and then you got to pay extra and all that. What is the balance? How do you find it? I think you've got to find the value for people because if it's if if it's going to be a better policy and it's going to save them a little bit of money or if it just costs a little bit more, but there's more value there, I'm going to push that to that client or I'm not going to offer them anything less. Um, same thing with like when it comes to the carriers and the coverages. If it's a really, really, you know, if you brought me a half million dollar house and this is your prized possession. I'm probably not going to put the cheapest policy on you mm-hmm. unless you tell me, hey, I just want the guts. I'll do it because that's, at the end of the day, I I want you to be happy, but I also am going to probably have like 
800 things you need to sign saying you don't agree to. Right. Um, but I think that's the important thing is figuring out what people like and what they want. Rental dwellings are a big one for me. So, like, let's say you buy... It's so cheap. Like, rental insurance is so cheap. Yeah. If, if you if you bought a rental property and you wanted it insured... Oh, you're talking about an owner of the rental? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. So, if, if, you, if, you, if you're wanting to get into investing and buying rental properties mm-hmm. and you're like, hey, Ricky, I need insurance on this rental dwelling... My main question is, do you want this insured correctly or are you trying to really get your ROI? Mm -hmm. Because some people are like, no, this is a scrap home. I don't really care for it. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it goes to, you know, the slaughter, whatever happens. It's I'm just trying to make as much money as possible. Mm -hmm. But if it's a really good rental property, you want insured correctly. I'm probably going to give you that high end rental property coverage because I want you to treat it as a value. Mm. Where some people may just look at it as a quick, quick ROI. Every client's different. So I've got to figure out what's going to be a value to my clients right. versus just selling them a policy. Mm-hmm. Some of sense. them want to save money. Some of them just want to be covered right. Yeah. But it, I know some things you don't need to go cheap on. Yeah. You know? You know, but it does depend. Like, you know, if you have a rental property, I get that. Like, because mm-hmm. there's a gap, you know, of your total money in versus your money out. You need to make sure if you have a rental property or whatever, you're getting enough out of that. But, uh, man, I think people that skimp out on insurance, life happens, man. And, and that's what you sell insurance on. I it mean, is, like yeah. life happens. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm a victim of a, a claimant. I mean, I've had someone's wrecked my car before, so yeah. I filed a claim. I've seen how it goes. I've gotten paid on, on a claim. So I think after going through it, knowing that even the most innocent person may need it, I see the value in it, but it's just so hard to sell that top line best coverage policy to people when you're going against your competitors who are throwing cheaper prices and worse quality products at them. Right. And you're like, well, if you don't understand insurance, it's like, Oh, it's cheaper. Like some people don't even look at the policy. I feel like Mm -hmm. they're just like, Oh, it's cheaper. Uh, But that's a risk you take. Um, Especially like as a salesman too. If I scale too high, if I'm way more than, even if it's insured properly, you know, uh, they might not go with me. Yeah. One thing I always try to do is, and I did this for yours, actually. I do it for everybody, but I know I did it for yours. Mm-hmm. Um, is like when I'm selling a client, I'm going to take your home and insure it like I would my own first. Sure. And then I'll come at you and be like, okay, what are you paying? What's your current policy look like? But I at least want to get my offer on the table first, even if it's higher or whatever it may be, because mm-hmm. I just don't want, I don't want to be that agent that's just selling a piece of paper. Sure. And just emailing you the quote. Well, so you want to keep clients. You want to keep them happy and all that, too. And Yeah, so I've got to figure out what your value is before Mm -hmm. I can even sell you something. Because otherwise, I'm just guessing. Do you Mm -hmm. want the cheapest or do you want something good or do you want in the middle? Right, right. I feel like I had pretty good coverage, man. But Allstate, I'm calling you out. (laughs) Y'all mess me up. And I'm still mad about it. Y'all, I double my my house insurance. You gave me better coverage. Another shout out yeah. to you uh, yeah. for half the price. Um, yeah. And you, we talked, we're not going to talk bad about companies and all that, but I'm still mad at you. Allstate. I can save you. I can save you. Cause I also, I sell Allstate. Okay. Um, but I'm not crazy about Allstate. I, I do yeah. sell Allstate though. And there is a place for them in the industry, but they have a lot of like, they have a lot of discounts that they'll give you just for the first year you come on. Yeah. And then all those discounts will fall off the next year. So mm-hmm. that's like one of those buyer bewares where, I know certain clients, if, if this is the absolute cheapest and you've got to have it to make, to pay your bills and, and get your food on your table, I'll sell it to you, but I'm going to probably warn you, hey, this is somewhere you may not want to be next year or 
you know, I'll give you those oncoming traffic lights that are you're going to have with this carrier right. when we get there. So, but just like you said, there's an insurance for everybody. There's a there place, is. you there's know, a place. somebody may get great deals at all state, but for yeah. me, my age, whatever, yeah. uh, it just didn't and work that's out the, for me. That's the example of it is, right. is there is a carrier for everyone. Right. And that's why I don't look at state farm or USAA or alpha as really competitors. You know, they just have an appetite for people that I may not have an appetite for. Right. And, there's a zillion houses and enough business for all of us. Well, look at it this way so, from a medical perspective. This just kind of popped in my mind. But insurances, look at it as like I'm treating a patient and they need a medication, right? Yeah. So like uh, blood pressure, right? I have 10 different choices to choose from. How do I do that? Well, you look at all the factors. You look at all the factors, their risk, what they're taking already, their age, BMI, all that. And it's the same way with insurance. You know, you're trying to fit uh in insurance what is catered best to that person and everybody has a different appetite that's right yeah that's right good stuff man well the insurance game you're killing it uh, i think we've talked that we're about 40 minutes in we'll go ahead and go to another topic so your father yeah. uh father to two children right yes i have a, a six-year-old son his name's eli yeah and then i have a four-year-old daughter daisy she's about to turn five so yeah that's awesome uh, a man. five and a six-year-old a little bit jealous man i'm not a father yet but but i want to be one day for sure i've heard from a lot of people it changes you uh so talk about when you became a father what the pro i'm sure a lot of growth for they probably your kids teach you stuff yeah. you know and all that so tell me about being a father what it's what it's meant to you it's probably the man we don't want to get too deep but it's probably the only reason i'm still alive like wow. I mean, because, you know, I've been through a divorce. I've been married. I've been through a divorce. I started a business, changed jobs a few times. Um, Eli has autism, so he, he's on the spectrum. And just handling that and, and the delays and growth for him was a transition for both of us as parents. Mm -hmm. And then Daisy coming along, and, and Daisy's just Daisy. You know, like she don't have the autism behind her or, you know, the, the disabilities that he has. And transitioning into a life of living both of those lifestyles and supporting them both in different ways, it, it's really took a mental toll on me. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody struggles with, struggles with mental health differently. Yeah. Um, for me, it was it was mostly like it. Mine was through anger and, and frustration and disappointment and just not being enough or not doing enough or not being where I want to be. And you know, your kids, they, they give you a reason to tackle that and they, they give you a reason to get help or, you know, go to therapy or take medication because now you have like this responsibility mm. that I've got to get home to someone or they're trusting in me to, to get them through the next season. So, well, I think it's that responsibility, you know, once you have a kid, it's like, okay, it's not just me. Like I can be strong for myself. But I have to be strong for other people. And I think as a man, when you have other people depending on you, that's a whole other level of I got to step up to the plate here. I got to deliver and lead. Yeah. And it, may, it makes you stronger, even though it wears you out more. Yeah. It makes you a, a stronger human and a better human because now you're living selflessly because you're living for someone else. Right. In a sense. Right. Makes sense. So you talked about being a dad and your son uh, has autism. So I know there's some struggles there and all that uh, medically uh, that uh, care for a lot of children as well. Uh, so tell me about the struggles with that, what life's been like with that. I think it's just adapting to understanding that he's going to be delayed in a lot of things. Right. You know, there there is this like, everybody says he has a superpower, you know, and he does. I mean, there's things where he's so advanced in his learning in certain things, but then other things you're like, 
how can you memorize every line to the movie Shrek, uh, but you can't wipe your own bottom? Yeah. You know, like those types of things. And it's not like a, it's not like a bad thing, but it's adapting to that lifestyle and just trying to get him the best therapies and the best services that we can provide for him as parents. Right. That was kind of our big move from Arab. We lived in Arab, Alabama one time. We moved to Huntsville just because the therapies and services that were available there were were better for him and, uh-huh. and they they could get to him more and and help him more so it did cost more obviously but it it was a sacrifice as parents you're like i want him to be in the best place within reach mm-hmm. makes yeah. sense that's also you made the move to help your kid man that's a great thing so you said a superpower you agree with that or what do you what do you think about i don't know that, that it's that. a superpower right. but there is i mean it is it is weird how god can develop our brains and you know different people can there, there's probably more inside there that we can really unlock yeah that, that they can that we can't yeah and you know you see people that can just memorize things like like nobody's business but i don't know that i see any of that in eli yet but there is times where like he just shocks you right. and you know it 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 just as a parent you're like whoa yeah. he, he can learn a lot and he can have a very fulfilling life still with this and whether he grows out of it or doesn't you know we want to be there for that transition whether it's you know transitioning into a normal life or being able to use his talents that he's been gifted with to best fit a lifestyle that's going to make him a successful human right right so, i think it's just to bring a positive light you know I it think is. with a condition all that but it's not a negative thing and i think there is a mm-hmm. negative stigma from a lot of people uh you know said a lot of slanderous remarks you know and all that before i've heard things and stuff like that and that's just the sad nature of humanity even back to our childhood and right you, you probably think this you know yeah well, there was kids in special need classes that we didn't treat equally or, you know, even the way we say certain terminologies like retard or, you know, stuff like that. Growing up, you don't realize those effects and those deep cuts until it's like, Oh, now we're talking about my child. And And, and it, it, it really just makes you appreciate them more as humans because it's like, they are as valuable in God's eyes as anyone that's right and as a parent you come like as like this fearless line protector of them mm-hmm. so yeah well that's yeah. just the key man they're just as valuable as anybody yeah uh, i think the- i think that's the thing is, is 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 transitioning to that lifestyle is almost like an upgrade because you it, there is no cons to it it's just yeah how can we help you have the most successful life possible yeah well we'll get into faith a little bit uh here a little bit later but God has different ways in showing you things, you know, and maybe we needed to grow in a certain area. You know, I think we both experienced a lot of things in our 20s, all that. Uh, but maybe we need to grow, you know, in some areas and all that. Maybe you experienced something out of mistakes you made, they made, whatever. But uh, you grew from that and made you a better person. That's what it's all about for sure. Yeah. But God has a plan, you know, and he that's does. the key. Whatever we go through, he does. And uh, sometimes the suffering doesn't really make sense. But uh, but it's all for a bigger plan. So that's cool, man. So you would recommend being a father. That's something you would recommend? 10 out of 10, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people do, man. And a lot of people say that it changes them. Like just the responsibility we talked about earlier, how it really makes you a better person, all that. Yeah. Good stuff. I mean, I would sell my children for a price, but. Yeah? No. <laughs> Too much? <laughs> no. <laughs> how much? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, so I wrote down motivation for life. So we talked about it motivating you and stuff. It's definitely a bigger motivator having a child and having that responsibility you feel. Yeah. You know, it, it it's interesting 
we're kind of on this topic about selling our children, but we would never. Sure. Um, sure. But it, as a single parent, I have my kids week on and week off. Um, you know, by Friday, I am so ready to give them back to their mom. I am yeah. exhausted, yeah. tired, you know, that all the, all the wares are there, but then, you know, the weekend goes by and Monday creeps up on you and you don't have your kids and you're yeah. like, man, where are they at? I'm ready to go get them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's when, you know, like that's when your life starts to give you back purposes when, when they're gone for a little bit and then you have that time without them and then you start to miss them and you're like, okay, come back home. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm that's a good to... dad, man. I know a lot of people don't. You know, there's yeah. some dads that don't. They just kind of are absent in their child's life. So that shows you're a good dad, man. Yeah. That's good and I think know. Taylor feels the same way because sure. she's got her hair on fire when she gives them back to me on oh, Friday. Yeah. But so take them. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, seeing seeing the way her eyes light up when she sees them, gets them back, is, you know, that there's this parent thing that we both share together that will always be there, regardless mm-hmm. of our relationship status. That, it's just this bond you know i think that's 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 a huge point um a lot of people have children with somebody you're connected forever i Mm -hmm. mean forever um you can make the most of it or you can make yourself miserable uh that's really your choice i think it's the choice between two grown adults to do but that's great that you say that you know it's uh it's a real thing that some people are miserable when they have children and all that but you know um you got to be there for the kids that's what it's all about that's what it's all about so uh, you told me you were going to get me on the hot seat. We might get on the hot seat with this one. So let's talk about, you talked about you were married before and all that. I'll ask you first, or okay. do you want me to go first? About the- <laughs> ask me first. Ask me first. All right. So yeah, marriage, we've both been through a divorce. Yeah. Uh, both were married in our 20s, both divorced in our 20s. Uh, been through a lot, grown from that. But tell me about your experience, um, your experience, how that shaped you and what all that process was like for you. Yeah. You know, when the when the divorce first started and- Hopefully Taylor gives me rights to say all this, but uh, you know, when the divorce first started, I didn't want a divorce. I wanted to try to save it. I fought for it. You know, I, I wanted to do the therapy. I wanted to do a lot of things and, and cause I wanted to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we can kind of jump back a little bit to why it actually happened. I think a lot of it was due to some of my mental health illness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one thing that I didn't realize is that you don't, have to be a narcissist to have narcissistic characteristics sure and i was very blind to that and i think most narcissistic people are sure so (laughs) it's a it's a a characteristic yeah you know so um a lot of like the the lashing and and never taking ownership of when when things don't go my way putting down other people and and bringing negative vibes and negative reactions to things into a household you know that can wear on somebody but then also it can, in in turn, make them not want to love you the way that you need to be loved. That's right. So two people can grow apart and grow this hatred between each other, all because mental health wasn't controlled correctly. Absolutely. And now I'm not blaming all of it on that, but th- there was some growth there that I needed that was not there during that time that I, I feel like I wish other people were more open to receiving like therapy and medications and you know, different things to get them on that path before chaos happens. Don't get me wrong. The, the, now, you know, God has taken everything into his hands and it's all good. I mean, right. me and Taylor are great. I don't know that we would ever get married again. Actually, I know we won't. Um, but she would agree to that. But it's also, it it's one of those where that could have went a lot more smoothly if I had myself mentally in check. Sure. Well, so, I think that's important. This is a responsibility, you know. 
But I think it's, you know, it is unfortunate. Marriage is till death to us part. You know, that's that's what I believe. That's biblical. Um, that's what, and it's unfortunate when it when it doesn't work out. It really is. I think there is a huge pressure, and I think you know some people. I'll say about this: married for 20, 30, 40 years, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, how do you do it?" And all this stuff. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know if they've been through how they've forgiven each other and all that. There's trials and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say that to people, you don't really know what everybody's going through as far as marriage and all that for sure. Yeah, and there's so many side factors mm-hmm. that that different people have went through, like. You know, Taylor, for example, her parents were never divorced, Mm -hmm. but she was the one wanting a divorce. My parents did divorce, and I was like, we are not going down that path. Sure. No way that's going to work. Isn't it funny that, Mm -hmm. you know, almost when you you have something like, we we don't believe in divorce, we will never do that, you don't want to talk about it yet. It's almost like you gravitate toward it almost, like anything in life almost, if you think about that. Mm -hmm. Like, I will never do this, and it's almost like, because you say that, you almost gravitate toward that. I think that's a weird thing. It phenomenon. is. It is. And then it's it, even the vice versa. When you say, I will never do this. Yeah. Then you do it. Yeah, that's right. You know, it. it it's. I think it. the best thing that can happen out of any of it is when something like that has happened in your past, you can fall into that family pattern and it can be as bad as that. Right. Or you can kind of take, you know, take the reins and, and say, okay, because my parents did this also, these are some of the things that I'm going to avoid if I'm doing this too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, does that make sense? It so, does. Yeah. It does. I could have explained that better. but No, you're good. Yeah, but it's it's definitely a phenomenon. A lot of people get married and they kind of let themselves go. Men, you know, and stuff like that. It's, it's very important to take care of yourself during those times. Because once something happens to you, it's catastrophic because mm-hmm. you can't stand on your own, right? No. And, and that's the key. So we talked about Christian faith. Let's go ahead and get in on it, man. So going to high school, you were big in the Christian. I was. I grew up Baptist my whole life since I was born, practically born in the church and all that. Yeah. But I know when uh, in high school you were involved in a church group and all that. I don't know a lot of the story. I kind of want to hear about this. Tell me about uh, your Christian faith, what your testimony is like. Go ahead and start it off. With yeah. It. You know, I, in, in school... I actually started going to church because of a girl. I was always a little bit involved in in church, you know, and um, you went to Sunday school and Wednesday nights and stuff like that. But um, I started to get more heavily involved because of girlfriends or Mm -hmm. whoever it may be that was in my life that time that was kind of drawing me in. And then over time, you start to, to build this testimony of things you're struggling with in school and you start opening up and talking to other people and you're like, okay, wait we all have problems, you know, like, and, and that's when I kind of got involved in the church more and more. Um, I think when I was 18 or 19, um, I went to the rainbow city Baptist and I was the youth director there. Okay. Um, I kind of stepped in not really knowing what I was signing up for, but I really enjoyed church. I loved teaching. And I you loved, were how old at the time? I think I was 18. Okay. It was right after high school. I think okay. the summer after we graduated, mm-hmm. um, I got involved in that and I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I loved being around students. It was kind of weird because I was still also a student if we're technical. Yeah. And, you know, we, I bonded with them because they're going through what I just went through. And that was an easy transition for me. I stayed in church for a while. Eventually with CVS, it was pulling me driving 51 miles to come to church and back and forth. And, I kind of had to choose like when Taylor got pregnant and we had Eli, um, you know, it was like, okay, now we got a kid and I'm still driving this far and I'm running a business. So 
it pulled me out of church, but I still stayed a little involved. I've always kind of stayed a little more involved, just not in the main driver's seat anymore. Like um, we went to church in Gunnersville for a while and I was doing young adults. Now I go to Life Church in Huntsville. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, uh, um, no, you're good. Well, they're Church of God. Um, now I go to Life Church in Huntsville, and mm-hmm. they are Church of God. Um, it's it's still Pentecostal, uh, but I think for me now I'm more in like a, I serve once a month in the children's ministry. But it's also because my lifestyle has changed. I'm more drawn to children. I have two children, so those kids I'm entertaining all the time anyway. It's might as well take these gifts that God's given me and put it into the church in some way. Right. And that's what makes the most sense for me right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm out of leadership roles in church, but I'm still involved in church. And so did you grow up in a Christian household? I did. Yes. We okay. went to a Methodist church in South. Okay. South. I've been to all of them. Okay. Um, I've been to, to Methodist, Baptist, um, non-denominational. You know, one thing I've learned is, you can put a name on your on your church building, but at the end of the day, God's going to work in His own way. That's right, every single time. So I, I would, I think I'm most, I'm closest to probably non-denominational, even though I go to a church of God. But it, it's one of those where, like, I I do believe in the power of speaking tongues. I just don't know if it's for me. Yeah, but I'll, I'll be around it and I'll listen to it and I'll even accept a prayer in tongues. I mean, I, I will do everything in my part because I do believe that I can't put a limit on what God can do. Sure. Um, maybe not handle snakes, but yeah, um, I kind of draw the line on that. But yeah, I'll draw a line <laughs> on that one, but I, I'm not ever going to put a limit on what God can do. Sure. Even if it's something that may be for me or maybe not be, I'm still going to, I'm still going to be accessible to it. Does that make sure, sense? Absolutely. Well, you know, I grew up Baptist majority of my uh, life went non denominational back Baptist you know, I don't think in the Bible we don't really talk about Methodist, uh, Episcopalian. You know, it's a Christian, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's the way I viewed all that. A lot of this man-made denominations, this man-made religion, I focus on the Bible. Uh, the Holy Spirit is inside of us, and that's our direction, right? If mm-hmm. somebody's preaching uh, the Word of Christ, it's biblical and all that, that's wherever. That can be non-denominational Baptist. It doesn't matter to me. Do you feel like denominations matter? Does that matter to you? I don't think it does. Yeah. I mean, I think it, 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 it can in a sense where if it's a harming denomination, sure, you know, if they're, um, if they're out, you know, doing things the wrong way, then it could, it could cause more harm than it's causing good. Right. And that's the only fear. You know, I don't, it's like different medications, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're all going to do the same thing, but if they're used improperly or with the wrong thing, then it, it could cause some harm. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, it's, it's mainly worship styles and all that, but a lot of people kind of get caught up and I'm Baptist, like in, in medical, like the hospital, you go and uh, they ask your preference and that's literally an option like Baptist Methodist, all that. I just say I'm Christian. Like I'm a Christian, yeah. I'm a Bible believer. Uh, Christ saved me and all that. Um, I've never understood the, the not being loyal to the denomination necessarily. I've never yeah, I guess really if a hospital is going to bring someone in for you, I mean, if you want to see a pope, right, just, and that's a good point. But you know, that's the thing. If they're a Christian, do bring them in. You know, I, yeah. that just never has yeah. never has really surprise cared to me. me. Yeah, yeah surprise <laughs> me. Bring in the pope. I don't care. But, a box uh, but yeah, Catholicism and all that. It really just I, I never really focused on the denomination thing. I think that was huh. kind of made by man made, yeah. and I think definitely. So uh, you say you did grow up in a Christian household. 
Well, did you become saved, would you say? Because that's like the Baptist way, right? There was, yeah. a, there was a moment where you gave your life to Christ and all that. Yeah, and I think, I think I've been baptized twice. Mm-hmm. I think I've been saved like 50 times. Oh, wow. You know, it, it's, it's kind of one of those where like I'm not afraid to come back to the Lord. And, and when something goes wrong, I know when I need to get fed. And mm-hmm. I know when I need to surrender myself. And that's I think that's the act of it. It's, it's, it's giving, surrendering to God. And whenever we fail, there is this responsibility to us to go back to God and say, Hey, take me back in, put me back on the path. I've I've really messed up. I need to get clean. I need to get fixed. And you may always do this internal. I'll never do this again. Yeah. You know, because we, we have that inside of us, but it's, it it's never fails. It's never the same thing. Yeah. We always fall into a different trap. That's in a different, scenario that's something also different than bad right and that's where just growth i mean church is full of a bunch of sick people and we're all going there to get fed so. that's it we're all sinners man and that's the thing you you come to christ hands open you know saying I, I can't do it alone and and that's the key i think growing up the baptist way i roast baptist on here that yeah. i have so many times okay. but it's true that's what i grew up with um you know you got to walk the line you know it's more about performance rather than having a relationship with christ like Make sure you don't do this and this and this and this. And I've that don't really work very well. I haven't seen it work very well. And I think that's why a lot of people have a bad rap with Christianity is because of that, like, restrictiveness. Now, there's sin. There's right and wrong. We know that. You know, we know that. But it's just the heaviness placed, the pressure almost. You have to yeah. perform as a Baptist or Christian or whatever and not do all these things, right? More than just opening and saying, you know, giving your life to Christ and all that. Yeah. So you're a part of the church. You said uh, you went with a girl, right, yeah. uh, to church and all that. So what was that experience like being in high school, joining, going back? Because you were Methodist before, right? I think it's I think it's God's tactic of of reeling people in. Sure. You know, sure. It, it, if there's a pretty girl there and you start going because of that, but then you find out that there's a deeper reason you're there. There's yeah. always a deeper reason. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I go to church now at a place, and, and I tell people this openly. If it wasn't for the way that they have a special needs program for my son. Oh, wow. And it's just a just a certain room. It's called the shine room. But that's probably the main reason I go there. Not that there's not 50 other reasons that I love that church, but um, I I know that he's going to get taken care of there. And that's my main priority. But I also know that no matter what who's preaching or whatever, it's going to affect me in its own way. Maybe not every sermon hits me the same way, but mm-hmm. um, I know that I can get fed there, but also know my kids are going to get taken care of Yeah, at the best they can. Yeah. Even at a, you know, you sit in on a children's program, it'll touch you, man. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't have to have some kind of big. Have you started watching Bluey yet? Not yet. Uh, well, I don't have kids yet. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. Bluey. I mean, it'll wreck you, man. Yeah. It's the, the, it's the boy meets world, like the. The moments where you're like, man, that hit hard. Yeah. You know, I need to play with my kids. Or I need to have an imagination. Or Yeah, life is so you know. simple, man. And if you just sit and kind of examine, uh, you know, basic stories and all that, there's a deep, uh, deep meaning. And once you experience life and all that, it really hits you. It definitely hits home. That's great, man. Uh, glad your Christian growth has been great. Uh, being a light in a dark world. So I wrote that down. That's something that kind of came on my heart uh, to my mind as I was writing this. We live in a hard time. Living a hard time where there's a lot of confusion, a lot of uh, a lot of doubt um, that God is there. How do you do that? How do you be a light to a to a dark world? I think I think you don't fear the darkness because for me, like 
I'm a divorced male. I yeah. have tattoos. I have ear piercings. Sure. I have, um, you know, I'm, I'm in the real estate industry, which is already pretty rough industry, you yeah. know, the, but at the same time, like I'm not afraid to go those places and be myself. So it, it's kind of like I accept going into this dark place because I know that earth is another hell to, to an extent. Yeah. But uh, I'm not afraid to meet people and be myself, but also show them who I really am. I, I'm not perfect. I'm mm-hmm. far from perfect. And I'm probably not going to be the guy that's standing up there with the youth preaching a sermon. But at the end of the day, I am going to be open about my faith mm-hmm. and lead people because I'm going to attract people that some people won't. You know, I'm going to bring people to Christ that other people can't. Mm-hmm. So it, I think that's where, even though the places I'm at may seem dark, I've kind of got to be the light in those in those times, if that makes sense. Yeah, man, it absolutely does. You know, I've had a lot of situations, especially hospitals, work. There's a lot of people hurting, you know, just people hurting out there. And I think it's so important, the power of your words, the power of your demeanor, you know, when you approach people and are kind to them. Um, it's infectious, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a, a lot of situations where I'll see people. I'll, I feel like uh, the the spirit, you know, calls me to speak to them and stuff. Having a terrible day, you know, and all that. And you can just see them light up. You know, nobody cares. They're invisible. People look yeah. through them, don't see them. Um, it's really important, man. Just cheering people up, being a positive light in a dark world. It's a really big deal. I think everybody in every role almost, I mean, they have some important place or purpose in their job occupation That's right. to reach certain people. Well, God placed you there. Yeah. And, yeah. and you become a disciple as soon as you sign up to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you, you may have a stronger role or a lesser role, but you still have a role. Well, people say that like, you know, that's the pastor's thing. Like he's supposed to minister. Literally you're in a spe- The pastor can't always be at your workplace. Yeah. You know, you're placed there for a reason to be a light. And that's what you need to do. Yeah. You know, especially if you're a Christian and all that. But even in times where, you know, I've been in situations, jobs where it's not practical, not fun, can't stand it, but I'm sitting there thinking like, there's a reason I'm here. You know, there's a reason I need to be a lot to somebody. And I hadn't always been perfect and all that. That's I'm a human, just like anybody else. But I think that's really important to look at as a Christian. You're there for a reason. If you're in a dark time, if you're in a dark place, a place that you don't like, a place you don't understand, you are there for a reason uh, and you're going to get through it and just be a light, man. Be positive and do the best you can. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff, dude. Uh, leaving your hometown. So you are from Gasney, went to Arab Huntsville, all that, moving around. Uh, had a guy on the podcast who moved far away from home, said that was the biggest, the best thing you could do. I'm still at home. I'm still in that located in Gasney area. But he said, uh, you know, what is your opinion on that? You know, leaving your hometown. A lot of people say you don't really grow till you leave. You don't have family backing you and all that. What's your opinion on that? I disagree. I mean... Wait, what am I agreeing to? What am I agreeing to? Uh, leaving your hometown changes you, like make makes a big change. I don't for think you it did, you know, I because I I stayed close with the people that I wanted to stay close with. Yeah, and and social media helps with that. Um, but then at the same time, like I, I left because my the person I was interested in the most lived in Arab, so mm-hmm. I went to go live there. I also had a job there, um, and then we moved to Huntsville, moved away from some more fa- further away from family. Because it was for my kids, but like my family was still there. I probably didn't see them as much, but they're still a phone call away. And it it, it is more inconvenient to in my life, not having the full-time babysitter, but yeah, um, it, you, you adapt to it because you have to weigh out the pros and the cons of 
what you're going to gain by living in this new city versus what you're going to lose. So. Yeah, there was a point in my life, uh, this insurance story, actually. But my dad, you know, he covered my insurance, my car insurance, health insurance for a long time. And when I was like 23, 24. I had graduated college, moved back in with my dad for a year or two, and then got a house by myself. And uh, I remember I bought a new car. And we, he said, let's go get insurance on it. And I was like, oh, you're going to, oh, cool, cool. We'll go to the insurance. So we go there and uh, they say the balance. And he, he pointed and he pointed his hand, pay it. And I was, my spoiled little self was like, what? <laughs> Me? How, how am I going to do this? How do but there needs to be a point in your life. And everybody is sometimes yeah. 18 years old to sink or swim. I think that's a whole other story. I think that's terrible for parents to do. But where you break break away. Yeah. I know 30, 40 year olds that still own their parents' cell phone bill, mm -hmm. you know, and all that. Teach their own. But I think you need to establish yourself, especially if you want to start a family, all that. You need to kind of, as a man in your early mid twenties, there needs to be that break off moment where I'm on my own, I'm gonna do my own thing and all that. I feel like I was kind of late. Uh honestly, 23, 24, that's pretty late. But uh, but I think that's a really important thing. I don't know. Just yet, because of, I'm seeing these moms and dads paying for 30 year olds yeah. insurance and stuff so yes it, it's late to your the way you hold yourself accountable right for you it's going to be late right. but like just as an you know a large capacity mass people there's so many people still milking the mom and dad's that's crazy teat. you know too, uh, yeah i mean that's what it is but uh like a 17 to 16 year old like buying our first three hundred thousand dollar house and then like you know everybody else is struggling it's kind of crazy but it's mommy's money daddy's money yeah. and all that you probably see a lot of situations like that i, I do really know about that. Yeah, yeah and it it's okay i mean to each their own like yeah. you said um i think that but, but i just wish that people knew when they were making their first big purchase or when they start spending money on their own that's where these parents have to step in and be like, okay, let me show you what that's going to affect. You know, you go buy a car, you go buy a motorcycle. Have you checked the insurance on it yet? Have you know, if you go buy a house, have you seen how much a washer and dryer is yet? Have you, do you know who to call if there's a leak? Mm -hmm. You know, like those little things, it's like, I think there needs to be that transition where the parents struggle. are you off. Yeah. You need to it, struggle, man. That's where the growth comes in. And I think parents have good intentions. You yeah. know, they want to protect their son, daughter, whatever, but you need to struggle. That's where growth comes in. Like if you constantly coddle and I'm not a parent yet, but I'm looking forward to that, you know, as they're young, of course, they're a kid like, but see them mature, see them grow and don't just throw them out in the world at 18 years old. That's yeah. terrible. But slowly ease them into that, make them stand on their own and all that is super important. Yeah. I, just this last week, my fireplace went out. Yeah. Of course, like we're both 31. You probably did the same thing I did. You're going to YouTube how to fix it first. Sure. Oh, yeah. And then when YouTube fails, the first phone call is, hey, dad, I got a question. Yeah. And it's just that's that's the that's how it should be, I think. Sure. Because that's what I want my kids to be able to do. But try to find the answer on your own first. Yeah. But call me before you call the heating guy. Right. You know, just even if dad doesn't know how to fix it, just mm. maybe it's just checking in on our dad. I don't know what it is, but yeah. there is that that call and well there's an admiration there yeah. i mean you, you want the the accept that's just instilled in a man i think the acceptance of your father and him to be there and all that that's normal yeah. that's normal but yeah ice maker went out uh yeah. mine did yeah and i was like man youtube here we go so yeah. it actually fixed itself okay samsung i don't know man i've had it for like seven or eight years long story we ain't gonna yeah. get into that <laughs> so that's cool man um 
So leaving your hometown, you would say not that big of a deal? Not that big of a deal. Yeah. I didn't move too far. I only moved two two hours away. It's so. true. You know, I worked in Tampa for a while, uh, Tampa, Florida. I feel like I had a – I could see Raymond James, Tom Brady. Yeah. The, I could see the stadium. We were out there beside and stuff. But being away did help me. I feel like it's important uh, to an extent. Now, I don't think you need to go to Alaska, all that, yeah. do extreme measures. But I think it's important to break off and do your own thing. If you do have kids, though, you know you have you have to be thinking your grandparents, if you have them, that's right, are your best line. I mean, they are going to be there no matter what. Mm-hmm. So you have to be financially structured enough to where you can hire a sitter or hire a nanny or whatever it may be. If if you are going to move away, that has to be something that you think about. But luckily, I didn't I didn't move too far away and. I can drop two hours, drop my kids off if I have to. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Good stuff, dude. Uh, We talked about mental health. Let's dive in on it a little bit. So you talked about therapy medication. Me, personally, I've talked about it a lot. Therapy saved me. Um, I'm not big on medications. Now, I'm a provider. I prescribe that. Um, A lot of people take them. You know, a lot of people say, but I think it's a personal choice if you want to do that. Sometimes it's necessary. It really is. Uh, But therapy, to me, is the most beneficial I'm a root cause person. Like if I have a problem, this is I'm an over analytical person. We're going to get to the root of the problem. We see action, 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 and then we see the root of the issue. What is what is causing all of these actions, right? And I think therapy to me does that. It's digging that out of you. What is causing all these behaviors? Um, so I'm a big uh, proponent of therapy. What's your opinion on uh, mental health and all that? Same. I think everyone. I, I mean, I, if I could give that one book that I told you about earlier before yeah. before the the podcast is, you know, if you can identify your triggers, because everybody has triggers. Mm-hmm. Now, also, everybody exposes their triggers and takes out their triggers in different different ways. Absolutely. But um, in some of it may be eating or some of it may be yelling or whatever your your trigger is, that's causing you to, you know, explode mentally. You have to be able to identify that and get ahead of it. Um, for me, therapy was big. I think therapy helped me find the resources that I need to to really get myself clean, which was reading books again, getting back in church, exercising, eating better. You know, it was more like pushing me right into the, the right direction. I am a believer in medication. Um, I did take um, Lexapro for a little while. It wasn't. Um, it was more of an anxiety medication, but I got yeah. switched to a depression medication. It's fantastic. And, okay. you know, it for me, it, it it helps me have a clear mind and I'm a lot slower. Now, slow is good for me because I'm different, but I needed to slow down and not just jump into an action without thinking through the possible scenarios of what my action may yeah what the reactions of that may be absolutely so um medication has been big for me therapy's big for me but everybody's going to get sent back down the right the same path which is eat healthy exercise you know go to church if you're religious Mm -hmm. find some way to you know invest into yourself mentally through books or podcasts or or whatever Mm -hmm. and all of that is still the core basics there's just little tweaks that everyone needs to make to make it customized to you absolutely i've said this a lot good people do bad things and i think uh, trauma shapes us right Mm -hmm. um causes the triggers causes a lot of stuff but everybody's coping 
You know, yeah. I think that's something we have to realize and really have empathy toward people. Now, some stuff inexcusable, you know, mm. uh, whatever. I'm not going to yeah. say a lot of bad things in my flag podcast, yeah. but some things are inexcusable. But we are all coping in some way. Mm. Uh, there's healthy ways to do that. You know, and I think that's really a good way to do. But to have empathy, especially in today's time, the way things are so hard, like I have people rude to me and I've said this a lot. I think, man they're going through something like this has nothing to do with me. Right. And so it's the same way. If you see people doing a bad behavior, don't judge them. You you might cope with something better than they can, you know, maybe help them, you know, instead of judging people and all that. But uh, mental health is a big thing for sure. So you being on the medication, uh, you're on an SSRI, so Lexapro, um, and then now on an antidepressant, what was the change like that for you? Was the SSRI, you feel like it was too, it was heavy or how do you feel about that? Oh man, this is good juice for the podcast. Yeah, it is. So the only cons to it was I could not ejaculate. Okay. So there was, of course, that in itself was a big, just mental jump. Sexual dysfunction is common. Yeah, It is. Yeah. And, um, I think for me that that was challenging, but also I was eating a lot. So then if you eat a lot, you have no, you're tired all the time. You have no desire to exercise. You know, there, there's those cons of just um, reactions that everything is happening. It's like, okay, that's hurting me more than it's helping me. Right. So um, I changed over to um, a depression medication and I can't think of the name of it right now, but um, I changed over to it and it has, it has done more for me because now it cur- curves my appetite mm. i get back that function that i didn't have before mm. and it still has all those same things now i get headaches every once in a while um but i'll take headaches over those other two anytime because if you eat too much you're gonna get headaches or if that's you're right unhealthy you're gonna get sick so um i think that was the thing for me was figuring out what works with my lifestyle and what Kind of isn't going to cause the most harm to me, mm. but also manage me and manage my lifestyle. And, you know, I want to wake up early. I want to be able to go to work. I want to get the kids off to school. I want to be able to decompress after they go to bed. Right. So there's a, everybody has different factors that they have to go through to figure out what medications are right for them. And for some people, it may not be any medication because mm-hmm. their body just may not fit for it. Right. So well, it's like we said earlier, you know, finding the right insurance policy, medica- it's all the same thing. Kind of sometimes trial and error. I think that's really important to do. Um, but yeah, man, I'm glad you opened up about that uh, interesting little thing there. I'm glad you opened up. But mental health, man, it's it's a big deal. I think especially as times are tough, uh, the tougher they get and all that. I feel like it was a big deal. Now, let me ask you this. A lot of clinicians say uh, the expanse of mental illness is because it was underdiagnosed in the past, right? There's such a big focus. Like everybody has yeah. anxiety, depression, all that. Do you feel like there is a crisis? Or do you feel like before there was a crisis, but it was not diagnosed properly? I think (laughs) this is Ricky thinking. Yeah. I think everyone struggles with mental health. Absolutely. And I think it is something that probably should be more focused on. But at the same time, we can't blame the doctors because when you're filling out that paper and it says, are you depressed? Have you had thoughts of suicide? Have you done this? It's like a 10 question. I don't know if you ever got one of those. Yeah, it's PHQ-9. Okay. It's, it's a, yeah. Glad a we got the terminology. Yeah. yeah. It's, right. a, it's a, a depression form, yeah. <laughs> Do you not feel like most people are going to press no, 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 no? I it right back. I don't what? think so. You don't think so? 
well, it depends. Yeah. It depends. Go ahead. I'm interrupting okay. your thought. I, I think I think for me, I, I don't know that they're not doing anything with that or they're not really like di- diagnosing into that because it's like, okay, you just need to go see a therapist. Mm-hmm. Well, then that costs more money. Who's going to go do it? That's right. Whatever. And then all these bad characteristics and traits and, you know, your yourself's going to be depleted when you were really just there to fix your cold. Right. You know, and there's probably more issues going on that are untreated. Mm-hmm. I'm not a doctor though. Sure. You know, that's just my feeling. I think you have it. a great point, man. I, th- I think that's a real thing. Now that is true. Um, we obviously want people safe, you know, yeah. a suicide questionnaire and all that. If that's a thing, it's definitely a thing, but it's, I think it's definitely undertreated probably in primary care, but I think a lot of clinicians honestly just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Um, I do. I know the sensitivity of it. I know they need it. And uh, I work for a company that we do income-based payment and all that. So if I refer somebody, it's income-based payment. It's not like some huge bill you're going to get if you go to therapy and all that. And that helps a lot. But it's the compliance is the issue. Um, I think it's it's easier to cope the way you want to cope, you know, rather than go get help. You know, that's uncomfortable, you know, to sit there and talk all this stuff out, relive trauma and all that. You know, it's easier just to cope in unhealthy ways and probably a lot cheaper. There's a lot more benefits to doing that. Yeah. You know, so many people just want to jump into a new relationship and tell them what they want them to hear uh-huh. instead of jumping into a relationship with a therapist where it's like you're exposing what you've been through. That's right. And so many people just like to cover up their their baggage. Well, vulnerability comes healing, you yeah. know. And uh, but yeah, un, un, unleashing your baggage on somebody versus developing a deep relationship through yes. vulnerability is a totally different thing. It is. Now, that's why it's important. I'm glad you brought this up. People do jump and jump relationship, relationship. You're going to damage a lot of people, man. And yeah. I think that's a very irresponsible thing to do. But a lot of people, that's their cope. I go back to that. You know, that's yeah. the way they handle anxiety and all that. They, they're with somebody all the time, you know, yeah. and we all want relationships. I'm not saying don't be in a relationship. Yeah. But I think there's a healthy way to do that for sure. Yeah, I think that's that's one thing for me. It's like, man, I don't know that like I ever want to get married again. And I'm saying that now. Sure. But it's like, I just don't know that like you sometimes you feel like you've been through so much in life where it's like, do I got that kind of time to just tell them everything? Yeah. You know, and you, you also mentally are like, I just want to move on or I want to move forward. Yeah. But that's where you can't always. You just have to. There has to be this balance where you can, yeah. they can find out who you really are, but also find out where you're wanting to go. Well, it's so scary now. And I think that's why a lot of people don't, you know, it, relationships are very surface level. People get burned, I, you, both of us, you know. And so when you are as hard, it's like, I can't do that again, you know. And there yeah. may be a season where you can't. Uh, but I think through vulnerability, that's where a deep relationship is going to connect. I think there's a lot of surface level relationships in this time. Yeah primarily because people just don't want to be hurt man because because yeah. if you're vulnerable with somebody and they burn you it's terrible oh yeah i mean the abandonment the uh the trauma that it causes and the hurt it's really it's rough yeah because yeah. you invest your heart into it right? that's right that's yeah. right but uh but it's worth it when you find somebody you know and you said you're not ready you may not be ready but i will say a lot of people say that's the time when you find them, right? Unfortunately. When, when you're not, well, maybe. Unfortunately, unfortunate. Yeah, but when you're not looking, yeah. you know what I mean? Just sit back for a little bit. It's okay to have a season. Have a season you're doing your thing. Ain't nothing wrong with that, man. Yeah. For sure. Um, so we talked about marriage a little bit, but I want to talk about how to find a partner. So okay. we talked a little bit about that. 
Uh, so in today's time, man, we got dating apps. We got all this stuff. Um, in your experience, what is your opinion on dating apps dating in today's age with everything that's going on? I've got catfished. So I met a girl um, and I had downloaded a dating app for a little while. And, um, you know, you just swipe, you swipe on people you, you look, you like, or that look good or whoever. Sure. Um, I, I'm more of a, like a first impression, like swiper. I don't know if you've done the dating apps, but I have, um, you know, I'll, I'll probably make a decision before I've read all their bio. Sure. And, um, I swapped on someone and, um, I never really got too many like real dates out of it, but I did have someone come over one time and, and we were just going to hang out and like eat some desserts cause it was pretty late and she got there and I do feel comfortable saying this cause I do have a special needs child, but sure. there was obviously some disabilities there mm. and her photos were not of herself. Um, she got dropped off. She actually was coming back from a movie and she, she went to go see like Madeline uh, and it was very awkward. Um, so you got catfished. I definitely got catfished. Oh, and, man. And I was in such shock mode. Yeah. Because when she got there, I, I didn't want to just like be like, hey. But I was. I was kind of shocked. But she came in and, and she sat down and like, you know, I started asking her some deep questions, you know, like good, good stuff. Yeah. And then I was like, so what do you want about me? And she was like, what's your favorite color? Oh, wow. And I was like this is I, I gotta get you out of here that's wild man that's and wild. It, it, it it's funny but it's yeah. not funny sure it's funny from a catfishing form oh, sure because sure. it's like you know i don't i don't know if her parents set her up or yeah because that's what i felt maybe you know it's possible she did it herself but that's kind of wild man yeah but maybe she found someone but it was definitely very weird yeah i um, yeah i never i never it, it, it burnt me you know i, I bet it did didn't have the so after that you were done with the with the dating apps or no kind of i had it on for a little while but i wasn't yeah. like i was more so like waiting for notifications it wasn't like i was swiping to find if that makes sense well it's like you said it's a swipe like we don't know anything about you still you went out in public you were in college so you know you're at a bar you meet people i feel like that's very rare now you know to find yeah. people actually to date it's more of like a first impression swipe and you have to almost present yourself as i'm impressive right yeah because there's no deep connection there. I think the the most successful way, this is just me so far, is like really getting to know your friends again, hanging out with friends, making new friends, finding friends of friends. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they start to learn who you are, what you've been through, what you're going through. They have probably single friends, too. Yeah. And, and if you really like make yourself vulnerable and you open up, your friends are going to be your biggest advocate in finding you someone because they see who you're most like or who your connections are. And or that you're genuine. You yeah, know, that you're, you're a good genuine. Person yeah, you don't, they're not going to hook you up with their bad friends. They're right. not going to lead you down to, oh, you need to stay away from this one because this is what they've been through. But they, right. they know you, and it's honestly just not a bad idea to have more friends. Mm -hmm. Like, gaining friends is always a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah, just mixed company, man, being around a lot of people. But that's the thing now. It's just not as common, you know, with social media and all that, and it's, that's a whole other story. But dating now is uh, it's weird for sure. Never got catfished. That's pretty yeah. pretty crazy, man. Like this last Friday, I had, a, I had a friend, and she just had, like, there was maybe 10 of us, but she had, like, a post Black Friday party. Wasn't like this massive house party. Wasn't like drinks flying everywhere, loud music like you see in the movies, but it was just a bunch of random people got together after Black Friday and we all hung out and talked and listened to music and 
I met like four people I've never met before, but now two of them are on my Snapchat. So it's like, you know, I think that is just good quality time of just meeting people. And it almost motivates me. Like I'm going to invite everybody over to my house and see who they bring. I mean, maybe get a client out of it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But it is, but relationships are important, man. I think in the age two Netflix, all that, we kind of isolated ourselves and got away from true, genuine relationships. They're vital. They are vital for sure. That's good stuff, man. Social media, we'll touch lightly on that. What's your opinion? You like it, dislike it? What's what's your opinion on that? I, I have to have it for the most yeah, part with my true. business. Um, and it's not so much like I don't really post on there like, hey, I'm, I want to save you money on insurance. It's more like I'm the referral partners I work with that are sending me business. I want to be a part of their life. Like I want to go like pictures of them and their kids and like this and that. And, you know, I want to be active. So what do you do to be active? You either got to be funny or post stuff that people want to see. So I've been caught in the trap of just being someone I'm not sometimes on social media or posting because other people will like it versus what I really do like to post. Yeah. So, um, well, that that dopamine hit is, uh, is real. Once you get all those likes, man, it is, it is. And (laughs) And people literally crave that. I mean, I think the influencer game and all that, I mean, there's a lot of people that literally crave, having those likes and it's, it's very, very important to some people. Yeah. And when, when you, when you make a post of you riding on a Peloton asking people to buy insurance and then 70 people like it and you're like, that was so stupid. But then six people want insurance quotes. You're like, where's my Peloton? It works. You know, like, and and you just keep doing those same things where you really may not like it or you may feel insecure or you may feel, um, very vulnerable about like, Oh, I didn't look good or I didn't like the way I looked, but, you like the return. So that's real, man. That's real. Yeah. I, th- I think that's common. You know, people have to keep that appearance. Social media even posts things that they don't even really believe in or like or want to do just to have those likes and that, that validation almost. If you ask every like female that has done Mary Kay yeah. or like a skincare product where they sold it and they had to do the lives and they're like, I'm going to wait for people to get on, you know, the, the cliche after they're out of it, they usually hated that part of it. Yeah. They hated asking for business or doing, you know, the skincare was fine, but yeah, it was just, it was a push because that was what was selling the product at that time. Yeah. Um, but I think social media is good. I mean, I like seeing pictures of people's family and sure. dogs, and, but it's, it's the toxic, like, you know, I, I kind of sometimes wish that I could have just went through the whole COVID thing, not knowing anything, yeah. like just be a hermit crab and yeah. walk in and, why are y'all wear masks? Yeah. Well, every day you were bombarded with negative yeah, information, yeah. right? What yeah. do you think mental health is going to, I mean, just plummet and all that. It's, yeah. it was a weird time for sure, but it connects us, it but does. it's almost unhealthy in a way. Like I, I, I like it. I think there's a positive thing to it and I use it. Um, you yeah. know, I deleted, uh, Instagram, Facebook recently, just the app for my phone. And like, I post these videos comes out every Monday. Yeah. Um, and so I post Shout it. Out. Check us out on Monday. Uh, that's right. But I post, um, you know, these videos and then I just delete the app because like I start looking at people comparing and I'm like, man, I'm sitting here at work and I'm making money. You know, I'm I'm sitting here at work and like, but I'm not on a beach. I'm not in the mountains. You know what I mean? And it kind of digs at you. I mean, I think just isolated. Maybe because you're in a grind season. Sure. Sure. Or you're just not on vacation. Like you got to work and then you'll be on vacation a couple of weeks, whatever. But one isolated incident of that is not that big of a deal. But when you go through a highlight reel of everybody's life over and over and over and you see all these 
extravagant things and then you're just sitting there at work like man i ain't doing nothing you know i don't think that's healthy in my opinion if you've been on tiktok long enough to where you've noticed that a certain song or a dance is a trend you've been scrolling for too long that's true like that's what it is for me it should be new or upcoming or whatever but when you start to recognize trends on there you're like i gotta stop scrolling yeah yeah this is pretty toxic well it's it's they want it to be addictive. Yeah. I mean, they want you to stay on the platform and all that. It's it's a real thing, man. But um, just have confidence in yourself. That's the key. I've kind of started to gravitate away from social media. You know, I've read that ni- 99% plus of people don't care. They don't care what you post. You know what I mean? I mean, you mm-hmm. got I got 2,000 friends, whatever. I get a couple of likes. I mean, everybody's living their life. They're doing their own thing. So, But, yeah. But positives and negatives to it. There's there positives that come from it for sure. Yeah. Uh, you just got to weigh those out and, and make a decision, man. Are I you want, asking me to, should I, should you invest in meta? Uh, that, that's <laughs> up to kidding. you. That's no, up to you. Kidding. Should you? Should you? <laughs> Probably, yeah. Invest yeah. it. Do you do, uh, no, day, tra- day tra- Okay. I okay. I do mainly retirement investments, but, okay. but I don't do a lot of the stock day trading, that kind of thing. Uh, we're wrapping it up, dude. It's, this has been about an hour and a half or so. It's been an awesome podcast. It really has. I end with this five ten. 20 year plan yeah uh go ahead and shout out you the alabama goose on instagram i'll put that down in the description you can look that up i have insurance with them you can trust them they gave me a good quote 5 10 20 years five years from now where, where are you going to be what do you want your life to look like man you know i, I i'd really love to retire early and not like by stopping stopping any of my businesses that i start more so having them delegated to run their self yeah um i think it will take a while that's probably my 20 year plan yeah um is to have my business to where it operates itself and i may have more than one business um, i'm probably not going to have all my money in one place i don't know that gooseheads a forever thing for me it, it it's working right now mm-hmm. but the industry changes every industry changes and i'm never gonna say this is it like this is the final end game for this industry so i'm always going to be open i'm never going to just clo- be close-minded you know 10 years from now it, my kids are going to be grown or more grown. They're going to be older teenagers. So it's just a different lifestyle. Oh yeah. Probably the same life, but a different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And you know, five years from now, I don't see nothing changing. Yeah. Um, maybe there's a, a wife in the picture eventually. I'm not going to close I was gonna my, say, get you a honey. I'm not going to close my mind to it. I just yeah. have at this point in my life, I have no desire. Still a little fresh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So 20, we covered five, 20, 10, 20, 20 years. So 20, yeah. as you said, you want to be retired in 20 years. Yeah. I mean, it, and have your businesses kind of automated you feel? Yeah, I think so. Because it, it, the residual income is already massive right now. Like I'm only three years in and I don't care to say this, but my residual income is close to a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars after three years. Yeah. After 10 more years, I mean, that residual income is going to be much, much higher. Sure. So it, it's not that I really want to just hit the brakes and stop receiving payments, but I'd love to have my business delegated by then where I am doing other things, whether that's just fun stuff, you know, golfing right. all the time or whatever. I'll probably be that, you know, insurance agent we we're talking about earlier. Yeah. You know, I, I, that's the goal, honestly, yeah. but uh, I don't know that I'll ever be greedy, um, but it, I will eventually get to that lifestyle. Cause that's what I'm signing up for. Sure. Um, and it, well, it's the freedom. It is. You know, that's the key. You know, it's not about the money. It's about yeah. the freedom that comes with the money. 
you know, because like I said, numbers never end. All right. Yeah. You can keep making more and more money, but you have freedom with that money. You have flexibility in your life. You don't have to do something. You have flexibility and freedom. And that's what I think a lot of people seek yeah. uh, when they try to get money. If I if I get 20 years down the road and I genuinely want to hear people complain about their insurance prices, <laughs> I will still stay. Yeah. And I'm going to keep selling. But yeah. my gut's just telling me that by then something something in my life will have changed or I'll have I just hang on by the seat of my pants. So mm-hmm. I think the industry is always fastly moving and I don't know what that is going to look like, whether it's just people able to buy insurance on their own. They're already able to do that to an extent, but there's a lot of cautions to it. Sure. But I think just having more of an advisor role rather than a sales agent role, you know, that that could be in the future. So insurance the insurance industry could change a lot in 20 years mm-hmm. and I'm only 30. So it's very hard to predict. I think I, it will. Well, you said stuff about stuff is getting so much more expensive. The payments are more than what's coming in and all that. Yeah. So, so it is, I think there is going to be a change of a lot of things. Yeah. I'm not afraid of change though. I'll yeah. You can't be, you mm-hmm. can't be. I think if you're afraid of that, you're, you're going to fail. You yeah. have to be able to work and, and work through hard times and change and all that. It's inevitable. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome having you on here, Ricky. Thank you this for having me. This was amazing. I really enjoyed it. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot from this, hearing about the insurance stuff and all that. That is it, guys. Thank you so much for watching the podcast, The Better Man with Dr. Jared Nelson. We are on YouTube. Like, comment, subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell. You're going to get all my notifications and videos, shorts sent directly to you. We are on every audio podcast platform, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Give us that five-star rating because we give five-star service. Thanks for watching. Until the next one, peace.